Good morning and welcome back. I'm Rick Brown. Thank you for joining us on today's Seek First podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks, everybody. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready. Grab your Bible, prepare your heart and mind. Let's go. Hey, we're reading through God's Word. I hope you've uh, joined us in our reading our Anchored in the Word reading series, Two Years Through God's Word. And we are in Matthew chapter 10 tonight. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Our servants team will get you a Bible. We're going to stand in a few moments, and we're going to read a portion of our passage of Scripture to get us going. As we look at our message, Boot Camp Survival. It's appropriate for this period of time. In the last couple of years, we have been thrown into a cultural war zone that is really a spiritual war zone, and I think all of us realize that. It's between good and evil, between the Lord and Satan and uh, the followers of the Lord and the followers of Satan. I mean, it's that kind of stark contrast that is being dealt with in lies or in truth and the conflict that's surrounding those things. Uh, this uh, title, The Marine Corps Boot Camp Survival Guide, so that, uh, what does it say? It says, everything you need to know to prepare and to live through the Marine Corps Boot Camp. Now, I want to talk to you guys tonight like your ministry students just getting ready to launch out into the world. Now, I know that most of you obviously are not going to go into full-time ministry, but we sincerely believe, when the scriptures teach in the priesthood of all believers, meaning every single man and woman is in full-time service. If you're working at IBM or you're working at Google or Netflix or wherever you're at, God's grace is going to empower you to be salt and light wherever you are. Now, you may not have a job long in some of those atmospheres, but it's okay because that's what boot camp's all about. It's to prepare you for the conflict, the spiritual conflict you're going to have when you love God in a world that hates God. And that's what Jesus is preparing his disciples for. And as he's preparing them, he has to, first of all, as we see the table of contents for my message here in this uh, boot camp survival book, is one through four is the big picture of what Jesus sees and what he wants his disciples to see. And then in chapter 10, or this, the personal details, like, well, it gets, it's one thing for a big picture, but when it starts affecting you, that's a different story, right? That's what people were asking me. Hey, Rick, when do you think people will wake up about this tyranny, I said, when it comes after them. When it shows up on their doorstep for their kid, they finally go, enough is enough. They've been on the sidelines. They wanna be neutral. They don't wanna make any waves. But when they come for you or they come for the people you love, then it's people finally are motivated to step in. And you know, that's the difference between the definition, you know the definition between a recession and a depression, right? A recession, is, a recession is when your neighbor gets laid off, and a depression is when you get laid off. Those are two different definitions. The cutbacks, when those things get personal. And the Christian life, if you live it right, is going to get real personal, real quick, with everybody in your life. Even as you walk through in love and kindness and trying to minister to broken hearts, the conflict will be there. And it's going to rage on within your life all the way till you get to heaven. Now, I know that may sound daunting because you go, oh, another 60 years of this garbage for those who are young. It's like, hey, you have to live one day at a time or it'll overwhelm you. Life by the inch is a cinch. I just got to live today. I don't have to live for the next 60 years today. I can't fit it all in. Right? Today, I love God. Today, he's taking care of me. Today, I have provision. Today, you're okay, right? So then we just stack that up day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and we get to the end because the thing that Jesus is going to encourage his disciples in this is it's going to require spiritual endurance because it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, and it's a very long race, and we can grow weary in well-doing. Well, with that introduction, would you stand with me as we read Matthew, starting at chapter 9, verse 35, as we see the big picture. 
Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Lord, we ask that by your grace and by your spirit that you would bring your resurrection power and revelation to our souls to prepare us for what's in front of each one of us. Lord, that you would strengthen us to give us the endurance. I pray specifically, Lord, for those who their hands are hanging down, they have feeble knees, they're, they're just weary. Lord, they're weary maybe in some relational struggles, they're weary in the, the conflicts that are going on, they feel spiritually drought, uh, dry and just as if a drought of their soul is overwhelming them. Lord, I pray that you would bring the refreshment of the rain and the ministry of your spirit and your word to their souls tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, first of all, the big picture, doing the work. Obviously, you cannot teach someone to do something if you personally don't know how to do it. Correct? Right? You must know how to do it personally to mentor other people. And so we see Jesus modeling or doing the work of ministry. That's why discipleship is so easy. That's what I tell people. Being in construction, I would bring somebody on as a foreman in construction. I'm like, this is what we're doing. Watch me do it. Whether we're grouting. I was a tile setter by trade. We're grouting. Okay, this is how you wash. Now you watch me. Now you do it. I'll do it with you. Make sure you can do it. Now I'm going to stand back and I'm going to watch you. Now you're going to do it. The next night comes along, you're going to train him. That's discipleship. It's very simple. And Jesus here is modeling this by going to each city, each village, and teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease. So the disciples, if they hung out with Jesus, what are they going to learn? They're going to learn, well, we start at God's house with God's people, teaching them the word, preaching to those who are not believers, and we're telling them about a kingdom, an invisible kingdom that is spiritual in nature, where a person can have a relationship with God, though he's never seen him. It is a spiritual kingdom of the heart and of the soul, as Jesus said in Matthew 19, that the kingdom of God is within you. Now, he's not saying kind of the new age thing, like God's within all of you. No, once you come to Christ, the spirit of God's inside of you, and you are now walking in this. It's a new kingdom. There are parallel kingdoms. You and I are living in a physical world and also a spiritual world, and this is what we're telling people about this relationship with God. He also, as he's ministering, he sees the multitude, and this is what he's moved by the work. What is the work, you guys, that we have as Christians? It's brokenhearted people around us. It's hurting hearts around us. That is the work of the kingdom. It is to minister to them, and Jesus is moved with compassion. Compassion that does not motivate you to action is worthless. It is a compassion that moves us into the realm of that person at work where they're, they're discouraged, and you sense it, and you can just go, hey, everything okay? You all right? Wow, my wife and I are just struggling, you know. I slept on the couch last night. And, and, and you're able to minister to them in that situation. Well, what's going on? You see, you rub shoulders with people every day that are humans just like you that have broken hearts, even if they have the best face. They got the best game face on. Joseph Parker, the famous preacher that was during the same time, I mean, London was blessed during the time of Charles Spurgeon, Joseph Parker, F.B. Meyer. These are amazing preachers. And Joseph Parker was ministering to uh, a graduating class of pastors. And he said, young men, if you will preach to broken hearts, you will never lack for an audience. You see, people, oftentimes their last-ditch effort is, well, I guess I'll go to church before they were going to go kill themselves. 
Uh, we, we've had that happen over the years where this person says, well, I guess I'll go to, you know, see if the Lord loves me and, and I'll go to the church. And, and if not, I'm going to go out here in the hills and I'm going to kill myself. It's the last backstop for broken hearts to hear about God's love, about God's grace. And when Jesus sees the people, he's moved by the work of ministering to them because he saw them as weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Sheep are vulnerable and helpless and doomed without a shepherd. God put sheep and then gave us the, the privilege of being likened to them in illustration form. They're absolutely defenseless creatures. They have no big scary teeth. They have no sharp hooves. They have no scary growl. It's like, meh, you gonna kill me? Meh, I mean, and they're also very stupid. Sheep are very dumb. In my area where I was from in Idaho, I remember op opening up the newspaper and it says, 40 sheep suffocated to death. And I'm like, how'd 40 sheep suffocate to death? Something startled them in the pasture. There was no, there was no uh, body parts, so there was no really scary animal. Just one of them got spooked, and then they all got spooked, and they ran into a thicket, and they buried themselves on top of, they smothered each other, 40 of them. And he says, you guys like sheep need a shepherd. Lest you sh smother yourself, right? <laughs> well, it's not enough when you see the overwhelming need. There's always more need than you can minister, right? There's always more need than you can do. You, you can't do it all. God is all-powerful, everywhere present at once, and he's all-knowing. I'm none of those things. I'm limited in my knowledge. I'm limited. I'm not omniscient. I can't be everywhere at once. And I have a finite uh, energy and so I can only do so much. So you have to recruit others to do the work. If the work's great, uh, Pastor Craig, who's up here on the front row, being in Africa for 14 years, when I would go to visit him, I'd go every other year for about an eight-year period of time when I would go minister over there. And it was just like need fatigue. It's just like everywhere you turn, you know, it, it was just overwhelming. And so you have to just pray and just Okay, God, what can I do? And I'm going to do that because that's all you can do. So Jesus wants to share the work. And that's why I'm talking to you guys here tonight. Just not a rainy night to put you guys to sleep. This is nice. Where's my hot cocoa? cocoa? <laughs> Hopefully you can stay awake through this. All right. But to share the work and to open our eyes afresh because sometimes we get weary or we get burned by loving people and helping people and ministering to people. Sometimes we just need to be refreshed and look at the hurting humanity around us once again. He says in verse 37, it said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's this incredible harvest, you guys, but there's just not enough workers. And at harvest time in any agrarian society like I came from, I mean, people are, are desperate for help when the harvest is happening. And you're, you're trying to recruit others to help in this harvest. But this is a spiritual harvest. And fourthly, praying for the work. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, this seems like a fascinating thing. It's the Lord's harvest, and we're to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send his workers into his harvest. It gives you the insight that actually God wants the harvest and he wants to send the workers. He's just waiting. What, well, why do I have to pray for that? Because he wants you to join him in the work. He wants you to see the need of the work and talk to him about the need of the work so he can fill the need for the work. It's just the way God works. He likes to recruit us and get us involved. You know when your kids are growing up and they're little and I would be doing things on my day off and the kids want to help. I just want to help, Dad. And you know... I could do this twice as fast if I didn't have to worry about little fingers and little toes. But now they're gonna help, so it's gonna take us twice as long <laughs> to get this done. But they'll feel like they were a part of it and very excited about it. So these things never stop working. I go and do leadership consulting for churches with my ministry, Kingdom X. And we'll identify on the whiteboard, they'll say, oh, well, we need this. And I'll just say, okay, let's identify all the people you need to fill these ministries. And we'll put it on the board. And I'll say, okay, every day for the next 
you know, until these places are fulfilled, every morning in the devotions for the staff, we're going to pray for that position. And the person, God knows who they are. He wants to do the work, and he's going to fill that. And I'll come back six months later to follow up, and they'll say, this is the name for that, this is the name for that, this is the name for that, this is the name for that. Because God wants to do it. You're not asking God to do something that he doesn't want to do. He wants to do it. But we have not because we ask not. Now he gets into just sharing with a group of people, his disciples, about this compassion that he has, these weary souls that need somebody to minister to them, the incredible harvest, and praying. And now he says, now you, Peter, now you, John, now you, Andrew. And he starts being very specific. Now when your name gets associated with this work as here, there's a couple of things you need. First of all, you need to know that God has called you to the work. And secondly, you need the power to get the job done. Right, very simple. I just need to know God's called me. Now I want you to know if you're a born again Christian, God's called you to be a servant to love and minister to other people. Now in a greater calling that might take you into something that is life changing as a vocation, you definitely need to know that God has called you. Otherwise, a lot of people just go to Bible school and think that's the calling or seminary and they come out. I mean, they went in at like the, the you know, on fire Christians and they came out as the frozen chosen. I mean, the seminary just destroys people's uh, so many, their faith or their passion. Now they're just, they're trying to talk to a congregation about, you know, parsing this Greek verb and this and that rather than like, hey, a, a single mom with three kids, their husband just her husband just walked out on her and she's at church. She needs a little comfort. She's not concerned about your Greek word, though that's cool. I'm glad you know Greek. But we need this power and we need to know that we're called. I was just serving God as a construction worker. I had no intention whatsoever to go into full-time ministry, nor did I think that somebody like me could even do such a thing because of my background. And I was at a men's retreat with a bunch of other guys. We were having a lot of fun. There's three foot of snow outside in the central mountains of Idaho. And the pastor was speaking, and he wasn't talking about, to, you know, about this subject of calling. But as I sat there and I was just listening to the word of God, the spirit of the Lord said, you're going into full-time ministry. It was so powerful. It was like when the Lord spoke to my life when I, I got saved. It, there's those you know, epic moments in your life that God speaks in such a clear and radical way. It was so clear that I remember looking over my right shoulder at the guy behind me thinking, I overheard God talking to him because it couldn't have been me. And, and a series of events, I just knew that God had called me. I didn't know how that was gonna work out. I didn't grow up in the church. All these things were foreign to me. But I also realized I didn't have the power to do what God was asking me to do. You don't even have the power to be a bright shining light at work on Monday morning without the power of God inside of you. You don't. The Christian life is an impossible life to live apart from supernatural power. If you take all of the instruction for the Christian life without power, you have a very frustrated person. And some of you might be here tonight, and that's you. You see what the Lord is instructing you to do and you're powerless. So what do you do? Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, he says, if you ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit, he will give you the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to do that. Remember, he's the Lord of the harvest and he wants you to pray about the harvest to him so he can send workers into the harvest. He's totally into this whole process. He's into empowering you. And so as we see here, it tells us in verse one, when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then we have the names once again given. Peter is always first. There's several names, uh, lists of names within the gospels. Peter is always mentioned first. Judas Iscariot is always last. And then there's a hodgepodge of how they rearrange the names throughout the, the gospels. But it is the most prominent disciple, Peter. He's in the list. But the guy that's the betrayer is also in the list. I want you to know that as we go at this harvest and we go at this ministry thing, you're gonna meet the Judas Iscariots along the way that are just the fakes and the phonies. 
And I think specifically, not only did Jesus have this Judas Iscariot who was going to fulfill prophecy and betray him for 30 pieces of silver and on and on as the scriptures declare, but he is also showing us that as you minister, people, as I look back at 36 years of ministry, I see people that have fallen and got weird and whacked out. And I mean, over 36 years, you're like, anybody back there still standing? <laughs> hey, where'd y'all go? <laughs> And the thing is, is because the, the human nature of things, and, and to prepare us that, hey, when people fall, I mean, obviously, it's disheartening, but it's not gonna dissuade me from doing what God wants me to do. I'm not gonna go, oh, well, like he fell, nobody else you know, can stand. It's like, forget that business. We're, we're running towards a prize. We have our eyes on Jesus, and we are looking unto him and we wanna cast off the weight and the sin that so easily besets us, and we're gonna run with endurance till we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And if whoever's following, you know, they straggle or they veer out or weird out, then I, you know, I prayed for them, I helped them, I, I did all I can, and I'll try to restore them, but it is not going to detract because if you let the failures of others, the betrayals of others, the treacherousness when people stab you in the back, stop you in your race, the devil has won. The devil wants to discourage you through people hurting you. He wants to discourage you through people hurting you, failing you, and betraying you, so you just throw up your hands and say, you know, it's not worth it. It most certainly is worth it, and let nobody tell you otherwise. Thank you for that golf clap, appreciate that very much. All right, but where, where am I to go? I now am called, I know that, you know that, you're a child of God, God's called you, he has power for you of the Holy Spirit. Where do I go? These 12 disciples, tells us in verse five, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In this first missionary endeavor, they were not to go to Samaria or to the Gentiles. They were gonna take the gospel first to the Jews. The Jews, through Jesus and the scriptures, I mean this 1500 year uh, canonization of scripture, the promise of the Messiah coming, and all of the writings that they got the first shot at the gospel. Now the gospel is going to go to Samaria and it's going to go to the Gentiles, but first I need to know, God has called me, he's gave me power, so I'm called, I'm, I'm charged up, I'm powered with God's spirit, where do I go? He goes, well this is what I want you to do. Because God who calls you, God who gives you power, is the God that gives you direction. He's gonna show you where to go. I remember walking around as an assistant pastor, praying early in the morning, and, and I was just like, Lord, you ever wanna send me out from here? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go do this, basically. You know, I'll, I'll go plant a church, I'll go serve you, Lord. And if not, I'm very content. But here I am, send me. And about that time also, I'm taking my wife through a beautiful summer evening drive in the Magic Valley where her and I grew up and we're from and we, it's our home, we love it. We're driving through the evening in the farm fields. You know, we love to go for drives. And I looked at Tam and I said, man, unless I would only leave this place if God called me away, I love home. And I just told her just like so sincerely, like, it's, aren't we blessed? I, I would, <laughs> and then I prayed, Lord, I would go somewhere. And then a couple of weeks later, people started calling the church about a, starting a church in Pocatello, and then people actually came to the church and drove the two hours there. Hey, you know, somebody come and start a Calvary Chapel in Pocatello, and they're asking me. It seemed to be I'm the one answering the phone, and I'm the one they first talked to, and, and I'm like, Lord, you know, it seems like all these people are talking about that, and the Lord's like, I know, you said you'd go, and why don't you go? And I'm like, yeah, but Pocatello? Like, we called Pocatello Smokatello because it had two uh, fertilizer factories and it just stunk. And it got this inversion in the wintertime where the stench of fertilizer just hung like in January all over the town. I'm like, Smokatello? That's my calling? And the Lord just said, well, there's, you know, there's 50,000 people there that are hurting and need Jesus. So you're worried about your factory, your fertilizer factory? I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'll go. 
So you need to know where to go, right? You need to know what to do. And so, well, what am I going to say? For these disciples, this is their first missionary trip. They don't have a New Testament. And he says, this is what you say. Go and preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, there's a kingdom available that you can join, that you can enter into, that is spiritual nature through faith in Jesus, that has this love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. There's this, this new quality of life that Jesus promised you could enter into, but it's in a different dimension. It's in a spiritual dimension. You can't buy it down at Walmart. It's not a physical dimension. You can't, uh, you can't conjure it up. You can't, uh, somehow you cannot manufacture it. You can't put it in a can. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Invite people into that kingdom. Invite people into that life where the thing that they want the most, which is love, joy, and peace, can be theirs through a relationship with Jesus through the forgiveness of sins. This spiritual kingdom, for all of us who have walked with Jesus a long time, we totally take for granted the quality of life that we have. The daily peace that you wake up with. The peace when you go to sleep at night. The joy that you have. We just, we take it for granted. And people, when they see it, I'd go, I worked in construction. I would go to the job site, and it would be six in the morning in Vegas when I worked on the, uh, in construction. And you show up at the, the gang box. If you're familiar with gang box, you, know, you lock up all your tools when you leave at the end of the day. And so you arrive at the gang box. Foreman opens up the gang box. Everybody grabs their tools out of the gang box. But you all you know, assemble there at six in the morning. Now, you never saw such a sorry sight as a bunch of hungover, drug-strung-out, addicted uh, construction workers at six in the morning in Vegas. And, but I'm a young Christian. I've been a Christian about a year. And I show up at six in the morning. I was just like, I'm thinking, man, I'm so blessed. God is so good. I'm forgiven. I got a job. It's awesome. And the, they would wipe that smile off your face. That's ridiculous. Nobody should be smiling like that at six in the morning. You creep, Mr. Sunday School. They had all kinds of names for me. Mr. Sunday School. They called me Oral Roberts. They called me Billy Graham. They called me the Bible thumper, they called me, the Christian, the Jesus freak. I had all the labels. I should have wore a t-shirt with all the little badges that they had all over me. And they would ridicule me and they would make such fun of me. But when they would get me alone, they would look around and they would ask, hey, would you pray for me? You see, they were too cool for school with all the guys around. There's hurting hearts, and there's this kingdom that they could enter into. And they'd try to tell me about the joys of, of doing drugs and stuff. I'm like, I mean, what are you talking about? I, I did drugs. The acid trip and the mushrooms and the pot and the speed and the, you know, whatever else was uh, available cannot enter you into the kingdom of love, joy, and peace that I'm talking about. It's only available through Jesus. It's only available through Jesus. What do I do? Heal the sick, verse eight. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. The healing ministry, to lay hands on people and to heal them, to see the emotional healing, the spiritual healing, the physical healing, to be able to, these disciples, the apostles, which is really a gift of miracles to raise the dead that they had. Peter raised the dead, Paul raised the dead. And that they had these gifts. Now not everybody has the gift of miracles or the signs, Paul calls it, the signs of an apostle, which are in this category. And, um, but they did. And since you received it freely, Give it away freely. Jesus gave it to you freely. Now you have something to give to someone else. How to eat. Now this is the first missionary journey. Now the next missionary journey is not like this. Jesus was giving them a test. He says, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belt, nor bag of your... Uh, bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staves, for a worker is worthy of his food. I want you to go into every town. You're going to go into the synagogues, and you're going to preach there. And um, 
as you minister, I'm going to work it so that as you serve them, they'll serve you food, and you have no ATM. You have no debit card to use. Don't even take an overnight bag. You don't even get to take the extra tunic. You, no, you're going to go by faith on this journey. Now, what kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith does it require to follow the Lord in a way that you can trust him for your provision? Now, you're not going to go on a missionary journey probably like that anytime soon, if ever in your life. But right now, you might need to trust God for provision. What is that provision? Can God help you pay the rent this month? Is God able to supply your needs? Now, I promise you that the Lord will encourage you that if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> so he has a, he's given a method, but see, these guys are working. What is their work? That doesn't seem like work, does it? You mean go around and talk a lot about Jesus? That's work? Anybody that's done it? Is it work, Craig? <laughs> it's, it's serious work. It's work in the sense that everything that is on the line, the sense of responsibility that I'm going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for my life. Every Christian is. It's quite daunting. And he's telling them, I want you to trust me. You're going to go out and you're going to minister. And as you minister, and this is the way all life works. If I serve somebody, if I'm a gifted mechanic and I use my gifts as a mechanic to fix somebody's car, Voila, they give me a check for fixing their car. That's just the way it works, right? In every single area, as you use your gifts, you get to eat food. Well, the preacher gets to preach, and then he gets to eat food. It's the same thing using those gifts. Well, where to stay? They don't have any Motel 6. Verse 11, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is in it that is in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if your household is, the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. So you're gonna be invited. This was uh, Middle Eastern hospitality and ask in town, hey, who's a worthy person? Meaning probably surrounding their synagogues because they would start at the synagogues. Hey. Who, who would put me up? Who has an extra bedroom? Who's known to be a person of faith that's seeking God that would be willing to let me stay at their place? And when you go there, you bring your peace. Do you know that everywhere you go, you bring your peace as a child of God? You bring it to the workplace. You bring it to the home. You bring it to the company party. You bring your peace. He says, now, if your peace, if the person at that home is worthy, your peace is going to rest on that home. But if not, it's going to return to you, and it's going to leave with you. My son had a, a friend who he grew up with, a teenager. And he told him one day, he says, well, Caleb, I know that there is a God, even though I don't want to really walk with him right now in my life. And my son said, well, tell me about that. And he says, well, I know there's a God because when I go to your home, there is a peace that is tangible that I sense and I know that there's a God. Now, I'd never heard anybody say that except Tammy's aunt, who was a Mormon, and she loved to come to Tammy's women's events. And she said, I would love to come to your home and stay with you guys because there's such a peace that I experience when I'm there. This is not our peace. This is God's supernatural peace that is available to the child of God and that your peace would rest upon that home, upon that atmosphere. You bring your peace with you. You also bring your stressed out freakiness, right? If that's you, if, they, if you got that, you're bringing that also. So hopefully, uh, as Jesus is telling the disciples where to stay, he says in another passage, if you find a better place in town after you stayed at the first place, don't move. Don't be hopping up, 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 you know, to the nicer and nicer houses, and to eat whatever food's put in front of you. Now, that's kind of the, the, the missionary mantra. Whatever food's put in front of you. Now, that's a tough, that's a, that's a big lift when you go to certain places. When I would go to be with Craig in Africa, I would just, like, pray and just eat whatever was put in front of me, and I'd never ask any questions. 
I had no idea it was in there. You know, Matoke with this like boiled green banana business and all kinds of different meats and I don't know what it, and he, right next to their church they had a slaughterhouse so you'd hear this pig squealing right next door getting slaughtered next to his, his place. And, but I would take my nephew and he's very picky with food and we would be gone for a couple of weeks and he would fast almost for two weeks. He'd always lose 10 to 15 pounds. Every day we would walk up to the food line, you know, it's like kind of this food line and he would look into every pot and he'd just walk away. He'd just shake his head. <laughs> and he wasn't a very, he was already a thin guy. So uh, it it's it's, can be challenging. When do I leave? Well, it says, whoever, in verse 14, will not receive you nor hear your words. When you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. If someone is not receiving my message, not receiving your message, whether it's work or family, then you just back away, shake the dust off your feet, so to speak, and you move on. And the judgment, if I've had the chance to share with a person or a group of people about God's incredible love to send his only begotten son to die a brutal death upon a cross for their sins and to rise from the dead so that he conquered sin and death so that people can be forgiven of their sins and live and have eternal life with God, and they reject that message. Their judgment is going to be more severe, Jesus says, than the judgment that was on Sodom and Gomorrah because of their homosexual perversion. That's a heavy thing. Do you realize the incredible privilege that God and the message to share with the, the love of God with people, their responsibility? And once you've shared it, then you can move on. But how do I survive in a world that doesn't want God and hates God and is against God? Verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Sheep are defenseless. We're going out among wolves, so it definitely takes the wisdom of a serpent to be harmless as a dove. So the wisdom is the key. We are not we're moving through life and ministry as gullible country bumpkins that just fell off the turnip truck. We know people. We understand how life works. We're discerning, and God's Spirit gives us that discernment. Now, as we're moving through, he now gives us a number of situations of persecution. Verse 17, religious persecution. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Religious people are going to persecute true believers. Every town I ever went to, those who were the false religious teachers would begin to attack us as the new Christian church that was starting. And they were false believers, but we had started a church in Pocatello, Idaho, started a, a radio station, we called it Cross Radio, and Mormons were hearing the gospel in a new way all over eastern Idaho, and so many were listening to it, had it tuned to their, in their radios, that the uh, Mormon bishops, they, they picked a specific Sunday, and they told all of the members of their ward, stop listening to Cross Radio. Now what happened? The opposite happened because all the people that were not listening to Cross Radio went out and tuned it in right away to find out what was going on on Cross Radio. But you're going to be persecuted by religious individuals. We were in India and we were ministering and we had four churches to dedicate of small groups of believers. Some of the churches were like 15, 20 people. They had built these small little houses. You'd call them more like huts to worship in. But there was this LRA group, which was a radical Hindu group. And they had threatened uh, we were going to dedicate these churches. And they said they were going to come with their mob and attack all the Christians and those who were dedicating the church. So we could only give uh, in kind of cryptic, secretive way that we're doing this missionary thing. Um, the day that we were going to dedicate it. So the congregation had to come at 6 in the morning and stay till 10 at night, and we told them we would come in at some time and dedicate it with about 30 minutes and leave. So we snuck into each one of these places, so the LRA, and they said, well, I, I was very excited because uh, the local, I was concerned for the pastor and his wife and the congregation, and I said, oh, that's great, they didn't show up. And the, the uh, uh, missionary, Guna, he just looking, he goes, oh, Pastor Rick, he says, they will beat them up this week. 
because the women in these villages where we were ministering in the slums of India, they go to the, the well each morning and each evening, just like ancient Israel. And so when they, the wife, he said, this week, you, you can, I said, I promise you, this week when the pastor's wife goes to get water in the morning, in the evening, the other women, the Hindus, are going to beat her. People in the name of their religion will persecute true believers. But then there's political persecution in verse 18. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. We know a little bit about that in the last couple of years, right? When the local government comes and says churches are... Um, not or non-essential, and but the bars and the you know the strip clubs and the uh, cannabis shops and all of those are they're all uh, essential, and we open up and then we're sued by the county, up in uh, San Jose the Calvary Chapel there they have like 4.3 million dollars in fines for having church on Sunday morning. Now it. They finally won their case. It threw, they threw it out of court so that they could no longer fine them, but the judge would not remove the fines. So that's still an issue. But they haven't paid a penny because they're just trusting the Lord in this whole process. But the beautiful thing is going up there a number of times when Mike was going into court, because the first three or four times we actually thought Mike McClure might be the first pastor to go to jail in California for opening his church. And so we wanted to have a big show of uh, support there with people in the area. Uh, but nobody could go in because of COVID except the attorney and Mike. And in one case, uh, Don, his father was in there. But Don said it was amazing. The spirit of the Lord came on Mike as the judge interacted with him. And he talked to the judge for 45 minutes. And he shared the gospel with him all the way through. He goes, it was such an anointed thing. Mike had no idea what he was going to say because what did the Lord tell us here? He was going, meditating on this promise. We're, go, we're driving to the courthouse in the van and we're talking about this passage. Mike's like, yeah, I have no idea. I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit. And then we get out and Don said, I've never seen anything like it. The anointing on Mike in that moment was so powerful. God doesn't tell us this stuff for rhetoric. This is truth for power that changes situations. This is reality. And unfortunately, you have to be in that situation to be in trouble. <laughs> Who wants to be in trouble? Who wants to go to court? <laughs> Most of us do not because it says, I'm going to allow you to get in trouble with governors, uh, county supervisors, various people for good things, for the gospel's sake, so that you can be a testimony to them. Tell them about Jesus. Paul the Apostle went from governor to governor to governor all the way to Caesar Nero to preach the gospel as a testimony. God loves these people in government and he wants to give himself a witness in those situations. And some of them, you're not gonna get an audience unless you're in trouble. Lastly, we'll wrap it up with a couple of these persecutions here. Verse 21, family persecution. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child and children will rise against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. You know, families begin to betray each other. Families, I mean, you might have a family member that is absolutely hostile to the gospel. And we see this in, in government situations. In China, you know, one out of every 10 people is hired by the government of China in their neighborhood. They take notes on their other nine neighbors. And they're a spy in their own neighborhood. And so if you're trying to uh, have a Bible study or any kind of gospel thing, you're in serious trouble. Community persecution, verse 23. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. It's a reference to the devil. And so if they called Jesus uh, basically a demon-possessed or Satan or the devil, what are they going to call us? I just got an email this week because the, the Dem Democratic Party uh, is really uh, 
targeting us come this next election. They've actually, uh, they've, they've actually printed them or made them little buttons for people to ro- uh, that say, uh, basically, to defeat the Rob mob. And they call our, our, our church and our activity as the Rob mob. And, I mean, who spends the money and the energy and the creativity to put little buttons so that people can wear them to, because, you see, you guys don't understand what an impact we've made as a church. This is the first time in 40 years where there's a majority of conservative people on the county supervisory thing. And so they, they've got to target us. They've got to call us names. They're calling us Christo-fascist individuals, white supremacist, homophobe, transphobe, uh, whatever phobe, just put a phobe on it. And that's what they're, none of those things are true. And, but when a city gets bad enough, you have to flee from that city. That's what happened with the pilgrims and their persecution as they came over from Europe. I just read this week that three psychologists are moving out of the state of California because of the new laws that they're passing because they can only affirm. And if they don't affirm, if they actually speak truth to a person that's going through uh, trans, uh, gender dysphoria, they'll lose their license. And so they're just moving out of the state where they can practice other places. That's why uh, Shanae Anderson moved you know, to Virginia and she had to be in another, another state. It, isn't it weird? All these things are literally persecution against truth that the Lord is the source of. I'm gonna wrap it up with these last two things here because this is the reality of it. Don't you ever wonder if there's any justice going to happen with these things? Jesus says in verse 26, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. All this stuff is going to become known. It's all going to come out. All this garbage. How devastating the vaccine is, is coming out. CDC is finally going to open an investigation about those who are having strokes. People are dropping like flies. You just read the paper every week, every week, high-profile people are just dropping. That, that says nothing about the low-profile individuals that are not getting uh, time in the airtime in the media. So uh, you guys, we don't have to fear them because the truth is going to come out. The sad thing is the truth moves very slow. You notice that? A lie has went around the world and truth still tying its shoes. Truth is, it, it, it's a slow mover. But this is the truth of persecution. In verse 27, whatever I tell you in dark, speak in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. We're declaring the truth. That's why we're being persecuted. They're hiding the truth so that they can persecute us. But the truth eventually will come out. So the Lord says, don't worry about it. It's all going to be revealed. So you keep telling everyone what you're learning in your devotions and your church and you're learning by listening to Christian radio. You're sharing with them the truth, but the truth is the thing that got Jesus nailed to a cross. People hate the truth. The truth hurts and they don't wanna hear it. And so when we speak the truth about these things, the same thing that's happening with the vaccines, an experimental drug, that people are suffering now. Now they have SADS, Sudden Adult Death Syndrome, right? They had to come up with a whole new category for SADS. And it is sad. It's an appropriate name. Very sad. But they're going to come up in the next 10 years. You know what's going to happen is all these gender hormones that they're doing to these young kids. After 10 years of cross-sex hormones, the cancer rate's gonna be off the chart. And it's a tragedy. And we're saying it now, and they hate the truth, so they wanna censor us and shut us down on YouTube. You know, we had, a, before 2020 and all this stuff happened, our, our growth on uh, those who would watch our messages on YouTube was just constantly just growing like this. And as soon as we went into this censor zone, everything is shadow banned and, and just begins to diminish and diminish. And that's not the way, you know, things grow. <laughs> they usually don't shut down. But because they have to shut up the truth. And I know, I have no idea. He's a wild card. Um, just uh, Tesla and his uh, genius and all that he's doing. But buying Twitter 
Now, Elon Musk, think, he's a wild card. We don't know anything about him. But praise God that everything that's been hidden, he's declaring. He does these, he's dumping these files of the, uh, the FBI and everybody that was asking things to be shut down. And what if that same kind of thing happened at Facebook and Google and all of these places? Because you know the same things were going on. Members of Congress were calling or writing letters to them, telling them to shut people down. Unbelievable. But it's all going to come out. What? Everybody was so up in arms with President Trump's hidden documents. <laughs> but pray tell, surrounding Biden's Corvette is all these documents that Hunter Biden had access to the garage. It's amazing. It all come out. Hopefully we live to see it all come out long enough because it takes a long time. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would prepare us. Lord, you said that those who endure to the end. Lord, this is a long journey. And I just pray, Lord, for those who are here tonight and their hearts are heavy. They're going through conflict with their family. They're being rejected maybe at work or among friends for their love for you, Jesus, and the truth about you. And so I just pray that you would help us, Lord, help us with your supernatural power to be strengthened to serve you. Lord, we often get weary, we get discouraged, we wonder if the truth's gonna come out, we wonder if, we wonder, Lord, if we're making a difference. Lord, thank you for that encouragement that faithfulness is our responsibility. The results, those are up to you. So help us be faithful, Lord, with everything that uh, pounds upon us, Lord, in this life. Lord, fill us with your courage to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. See the light in the darkness I want hope for the hopeless And rest for the weary mind And you've got truth for the taking But my heart won't be shaken If today be the day that I die Whoa, whoa, whoa Time's trouble, I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 I will keep my heart seeking.